Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Would you take your Bibles, open them to the book of James, James chapter 1. And yes, we are in a verse-by-verse study of Hebrews chapter 11. But I think at this point, about here in Hebrews 11, it's time to pause so that God can give us clarity about this issue between works and faith. Because you know Hebrews 11 is known as the hall of faith. And it's filled with the great and grand exploits of men and women, just like you and me, living out their Christian life, and they're known for their faith. And so over and over again, Hebrews 11, by faith, by faith, by faith. Already we've met three, of, three men that God's used greatly. We were introduced in the very beginning of Hebrews 11 to a man by the name of Abel, and, and his faith led him to a worshipful life. Then we met a man by the name of Enoch, And his faith led him to a, he's known for his walk with God. And then last time we looked at a man by the name of Noah. And Noah's faith led him to work for God. But there is sometimes a confusion between works and faith. And let me lay out in its most simplest terms. There's two things you need to learn about works and faith. Number one, no one is ever at any time saved by your works. You are not in right relationship with God because of your good deeds or your good works. You and I, we can't earn our salvation. We can't earn to keep our salvation. That the works in our lives, we are, and and the best way to, if you're taking notes, the best way to remember it is this way. We are not saved by good works, but rather we are saved for good works. And the reference for that would be Ephesians chapter 2. Verses 8, 9, and 10. We're not saved by works. We're saved by grace. It's God's finished work in our lives, not our works. But we are saved for good work. Works are the fruit of faith, which leads us to number two. True biblical faith, listen, faith will lead us to do what we hear. Faith will lead us to do what we hear. Action is the natural outcome of real, true, biblical faith. You say you have faith, faith will lead to an action. Even as faithlessness will lead to an action. And so James in chapter 1 here, we're going to spend a couple weeks looking at James. We're not going to look at this in depth. We've done this in other Bible studies Truly, the whole study in the book of Romans is about the sufficiency of the grace of God. And that took us forever to finish. But if you really want to understand the grace of God, Romans is the book to go to. And we've also studied through James verse by verse. And we're not going to go through the whole book of James today. But for the next couple weeks, I want to share a couple key passages to understand the significance of works. Because lest we come to Hebrews 11 and think that faith isn't going to lead somewhere... Faith always leads somewhere. It leads to action, an action that pleases God. So notice uh, in James chapter 1, verse 22 is really the theme of the whole book of James. Verse 22. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. To be doers, not just hearers. If you'd like to write in your Bible, circle the word hearers, and you could write next to it spectator. 
He says, get in the action of living for God. Don't just be a spectator. Don't just watch the game unfold. Get in the game. And don't be just a hearer. And, and how does that look in our Western civilization? How does it work in the Western church today? Well, I guess it's this way. Don't just come to church and hear a Bible study and, let it, and don't do anything about it. Don't think that gathering together in a room or flipping, over, flipping open a laptop and watching a service online or some clip on YouTube is all that God has for you. It's just the beginning. The word of God will lead to faith in God, which will lead to action in God. And that's really the, you'll see in Hebrews 11, every single person is known for two things, their faith and what they did with their faith. Like, what did it do to them? What, what, did it, what changed about them? And so we're to be doers of the word, not hearers only. Now, Christianity, you know, following Christ is the greatest theology in the world. No religion out there even comes close to the beauty, the simplicity of the glorious truths of God's love and grace for us. Nothing, nothing, no religion, no man-made, nothing comes close to a relationship with Jesus Christ. Every single, even some Christian religions, legalism, religious systems, every religion says work, 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 work hard, be diligent, and maybe, just maybe, through all of your work, God will be happy with you. And, and then you might ask the question, well, wait a minute, how do I know if God's happy with me or not? Well, gents, just keep working, 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 and then after you die and face God, then you'll find out if you did a good job or not. And that's really religion. Religion starts with work, in the middle is work, at the end is work, and then finally God will sort it out and maybe, just maybe, you'll make it some religion. Well, you know, Roman Catholicism even invented something to build, bridge that gap. They invented something no, they, they teach as purgatory. Like there's some middle ground. And then after you die, you kind of wait around for life to be sorted out. And then just maybe, just maybe, 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 maybe you might be in God's presence. Do you know how false that is? The Bible says this for every true believer. To be absent from the body is to be immediately present with the Lord. That is the reward of God's finished work in your life, not your good works. And that's what can, that's what can frustrate you at times. You're like, well, you know, I see a person and they didn't live all that stellar of life and I really did my best and I worked really hard and I'm kind of better than them. Why do they get to be in the presence of Jesus if they didn't work as hard as I did? Because of grace. It's not even comparison because if we pulled back the curtain on your life, you're probably not as good as you think you are. You're just as weak and beggarly as all the rest of us. And the only way we're going to make it is by the grace of God, his finished work. And that's going to be one of the great surprises of heaven, is it not? As much as you get taught it and taught it and taught it, when you wake up in the presence of the Lord, you're going to be just like, I made it. He was right. But one of the greater surprises when you get into heaven is that they made it too, by faith, that we together are in the presence of the Lord to be born again. You know, James, James, the half-brother of Jesus Christ, he grew up with this guy. Can you imagine growing up with Jesus as your sibling? You think about sibling rivalry. Can you imagine growing up with a perfect sibling? Now, I know some of your siblings think they're perfect. You might be the sibling that thinks you're perfect, but Jesus was perfect, and James grew up watching him. 
acknowledging his, in his humanity, Jesus, the perfect life. And James wasn't even a believer, remember, until after the resurrection. He, he didn't get to that sense of really understanding until afterwards, until that, like that, that amazing transformation in James' life leads to a commitment to following Jesus as Messiah. And in this section, we learn that faith obeys the word of God. Faith obeys the word of God. Notice in verse 19 now, again, we're kind of combining James 1 with Hebrews 11, putting together for the next couple weeks, we're going to be looking at faith and works. Let's lay a foundation here in verse 19. Therefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Can you just accept verse 20 today, some of you? Some of you that are angry people. Some of you that use anger as a tool. Uh, especially as parents, anger is a big tool to bring about conformity in our kids. Uh, listen, your anger is not getting you what you think it is. It, it's not accomplishing the goals of God. You might get compliance in your kids, but you know, those of you that use anger to control your kids are not only sinning, but you're hardening your kids' hearts against you. You go, oh no, Ed, they do exactly what, they do exactly what I want them to do when I get angry and I raise my voice and I, you know, but, but you, you know what they're doing is where they're responding to fear. They're afraid of you. And so they're learning that this behavior makes mommy or daddy very mad so in order to keep mom and dad from being very mad, I'm not going to do that behavior anymore, but I'm also going to take one step back from mom. And I'm going to take one step back from dad. And every time you do that, they take another step away, another step away, another step away. How do I know that to be true? Because the Bible says the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God, ever. And it's not something to make an excuse about. It's not something even to be filled with regret over. It's something that you learn to die to yourself and ask God to give you the fruit of the Spirit, which is what? Self-control. Self-control. We are responsible to train our kids to decide. That's what the word disciple means, to train them. And so we train both by words and by actions. And that's true in every relationship. Maybe it's not a kid relationship. It's, although that's the most common form of anger. Maybe as a boss, you like control all your employees by flipping out. Well, you're not really controlling anyone. You're out of control. And it doesn't make any sense for somebody to be out of control to control people. It's just chaos. And the enemy wins. So he says, as we talk about works here, it starts with, number one, be swift to hear. Secondly, be slow to speak. And thirdly, be slow to anger or be slow to wrath. Be slow. You see, spiritual maturity is a process. It's not a one-time event. There are different stages and processes. Just like an, a child grows up, an infant grows up, so does the Christian. And we, it, as you read through in chapter 1, the beginning stages of chapter 1, James has already taught us that God will use every circumstance in our life to train us. He uses trials. He uses temptations, he uses tests, all of them to build us up and to grow us up. But the tool that he uses the most is the word of God. We might think that he uses trials and tests and temptations more, but the tool he uses the most in our lives is the word of God. And so verse 19 is pointed 
toward God's Word. It's toward God's Word. When, when you open up God's Word, you've you got to be slow to speak, swift to hear, and careful, you know, really careful with anger. So as you approach God's Word, it's the tool that He uses to train you, to train you. Be swift to hear. To hear what? To hear the Word of God. How do we know? Because when you're studying the Bible, remember, everything, the, the most important, con, the most important concept when you're reading the Bible and studying it is context. Most of the questions you have about a text will be found, the answers will be found in the context. And so we might say, well, what am I supposed to hear? What am I, what, what am I supposed to listen to? Jump down to verse 21. He says, therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word. The implanted word, which is able to save your souls. So we know what word he's talking about. He's talking about the gospel. He's talking about the word of God. The word of God is able to save your soul. And so we want to make sure that the Bible is the tool that we use the most in order to exercise our faith. The word swift, again, back in verse 19, the word swift literally means quick. It, it literally means to, to, do, to, to be your first response to be the first place you go to, to be the, the quick, you know, when you have that quick second, that, that immediate intuitive response, your, your intuition leads you to the word of God before anything else, before anyone else. Look, guys, the time to learn the word of God is now. It's now. It, it's not, not necessarily just in Bible study, but like in now, now, this part of your life. The time to learn the word of God is now, not in a crisis. When you approach God's word with, well, you know, I'll get to it when I can. I'll jump in when I feel like it. Certainly God gives you the freedom to do that, but it brings you no benefit. The time to learn God's word is now. Because a lot of people, and perhaps this describes you, a lot of people don't care about the word of God until a crisis comes. Then the Bible's all important. And then church is all important. And then somebody that's a believer, a Christian friend, then that's important when it's difficult. Now, I have to say, some of you may be here today because of a crisis. I'm glad this is where you turn to. I'm glad that you turn to God in the midst of difficulty. I'm glad. I'm not, that's not a bad thing. But I want to retrain your thinking to say, don't just use God for crisis moments. It's going to be very difficult for you now that you find yourself in a place of crisis. You know, you, you wait for the sickness to come and the diagnosis to come, then I'll get serious for God. You, you wait for the marital crisis, you know, when, when at the end of the end of the end, then I'll ask for help. Well, we'll certainly try to help you, but you don't need to wait for your marriage to fall apart to seek God. You raise your kids and you're, you're like, you know, kind of floating along and doing the church thing because, you know, you got to bring your kids and raise them in the ways. And then they get older and backslide. And then you get serious. No, the time to get serious is now. You don't wait for some crisis. Jot it down in Matthew chapter 7. Remember, Jesus at the end of what's known as the Sermon on the Mount gives this illustration. And he, he says, you know, the people that, that hear my words and do them, they're like a guy that built his house on the rock. And he started to share that and he says, and then he says, the guy, the people that hear my words and don't do them, that's like a guy that built same exact house, but he built it on sand, which doesn't make any sense. Why would anyone do? Why, why would anyone build their house on sand? 
on the shifting sands that, that aren't going to provide the stability that they need. But I see people do it all the time. I certainly lived my life that way for many years. Building my life on sand, building my life on sand. You, so you got two houses, one's built on the rock, one's built on the sand. How do you know the foundation? You know the foundation when the storms come, Jesus says. And they came and beat down on that house. And do you know the house that was on the rock withstood the storm? But the house that was built on sand, great was its fall, Jesus said. And God, he warns us so that we don't have falls and great are our falls. We're to receive the implanted word. I mean, if you analyze people that teach the Bible, you analyze their messages, I'm certain there's one continual theme. At least there is one here. And that is like, uh, there's always a pastor begging people to get right with God. It's like a lot of energy is like, would you just do what's right? Would you just, con- like, like I was telling the kids, you, there's a lot out, outside of your control. You can get caught up in all the things that are outside of your control and not make good decisions with things you can control. And so here's James saying, look, look, would you lay aside filthiness? Would you lay aside wickedness? Would you, would you find yourself slow to speak, quick to hear, and receive the implanted word? The implanted word. Notice in verse 22, he says, Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. Be doers of the word. Because if you hear the word and you don't do the word, you're deceived. And we'll add, what's the deception? Well, the, the main deception is, is that hearing is enough. That that's all I need to do is just hear Oh, good sermon, Ed. Good scripture, Ed. Uh, great, great. I had great devotions. And you're taking in, and you're taking in, and you're taking in, and you're not doing the word. You're, you're not doing what, like, I have a lot of people that email me from the radio, and they're like, I just don't know what God's will is in my life. I'm just so confused. I'm not sure. I, I don't know what's going on. And when we get to the heart of the issue, when we get to the heart of the issue, almost always I say, well, what was the last thing God told you to do? Well, such and such. And then you know what my follow-up is? Did you do it? Well, well, you need to go back. Isn't that what Jesus told the church in Ephesus? He said, I want you to repent of your sin. And I want you, first of all, I want you to remember from where you have fallen. Repent and then repeat or redo. Start doing the word. That's really, truly, that's the fun The fun part of following Jesus is doing all the exciting stuff. That's the fun part. It's taking God at his word and stepping out in faith. Now, you you may say, man, I've been walking by faith, Ed, and it's not that fun. It it is. It's a lot more fun than not doing his word. (laughs) I mean, can you think of Noah? I mean, how excited Noah heard a word from God. Build a boat. All right. All right. And the best place for Noah is the best place for you. And that is doing exactly what God has told you to do. Well, for how long, Ed? Well, how long did it take Noah? 120 years. Basically, you do God's word until you're done. Until he gives you a new one. You have this, you have a word, then you do it. You have a word and you do it. Be doers of the word. Be doers of the word. It's good to look at the human heart as a garden. The, our heart in you know, Jesus did when he gave the parable of the sower. And there were four kinds of soils mentioned in Matthew chapter 13 of the seed of the gospel being sown. 
There was the wayside. The seed went by the wayside, which was trampled down. And this represented Satan, the devil, coming and stealing away the gospel truth in our hearts. Then there was the seed that fell on the rock. And what happened to it? It withered away. That represented our flesh, our humanity, that's tempting us to fall away and walk away from God. Then some of the seed went by the thorns. Remember, it got caught up in the thorns. What happened to that seed? Well, that seed was choked by the thorns and was unable to grow. And this represented from Jesus teaching the world how it chokes out and destroys the message of the gospel in our lives. But then there was some seed that fell on what the Bible said, Jesus said, good ground. And what happened to the seed in good ground? It yielded a crop. It, bear, it, it was able to bear good fruit. And if seeds were only left to themselves, weeds and garbage would steal them away and take them away. According to Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9, it says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? It says in verse 22 to be doers of the word. Be doers of the word. How do, you get, how do you find yourself in the hall of faith? You do the word. You act. As much as we value and enjoy and relish and treasure the grace of God, the grace of God will always lead you to action. Your life will be different. Your mouth will be different. Your mind will be different. And James gives us some real practical, it's almost like he's looking at our church today and, say, and telling us today, look, just do what the word of God says. And, and as simple as that statement is, that is a prophetic word into someone's heart today. You have all these questions and all this confusion, and then God just skips all of it, goes right to the point and says, do the word of God, do the word. And you know that you don't want to do the word when you only come up and say, well, I don't. And you have an answer all the time. Of, well, here's what the word of God says. Yeah, but uh, uh. you got to be careful with the word, but it could take you out of the will of God. God says X, Y, Z. And you go, oh, but I, oh, no, 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 no. The only answer, it's kind of like Peter, remember? Peter says things that should never go together. He tells Jesus, not so, Lord. You can't do that. I mean, you can, but it doesn't go together. It's an oxymoron. It doesn't make sense. If Jesus Christ is the Lord of our lives, then our natural response is, yes, Lord. Yes. This is God's will for my life. Yes. I want to do the word. And it's important for us to prepare our hearts. And how does he do that? He says in verse 21, we have to prepare our hearts for the gospel, for the implanted word, to lay aside all filthiness an overflow of wickedness. It just lay aside the things that clog our hearts and our ears. The idea with filthiness is, is really what it sounds like. The original word means lust or sensual indulgences. Like, like the, the things that you hold on to and you're engaged in, it will not help you do the word of God. You won't even hear the word of God engaged in the lustful, nasty, sensual indulgences of this world. The idea of filthiness also speaks of a soiled garment or a wax-filled ears that need to be cleaned out. It's amazing when I visited down in Canyon City, they had, they had the, the 38 acres of the U-turn uh, for Christ is 38 acres of nasty mud. 
And I had my brand, well, they're not brand new, but they just cleaned Nike shoes on. They're black with white bottoms. Yeah, mm-hmm. And so I walk out and I'm very careful. I'm walking like this, trying to get to one spot and it doesn't help. I got mud all over my shoes. And then when I'm getting in, I'm clicking the side of the truck. Fortunately, it was in his truck and his truck's already all muddy. So I'm trying to get the mud off my shoes. And what do I do? I slip on the side of my pants. And I only have one pair of pants to go. I didn't you know, bring my wardrobe to teach the kids. So I'm all muddy. I'm all muddy. It was evidence of picking up mud from the world. And that was, that was just mud that I tried to avoid. You know, we live in this muck and mire of this world and we're trying to avoid it and we do get some on us and we just have to be cleansed and washed by the water of the word. But some of you are like swimming in the mud and it's all over you. And yet you weren't born for that. You weren't born again for that. To avoid the mud, you, you know, there's one thing you can't avoid walking through it because you're in this world, but you don't have to be of this world. Now, if I knew this was going to be illustration, I should have gone to the place on that property where they had two pigs, because they do, they're raising pigs. And the pigs don't know it yet, but their future isn't bright. <laughs> but if I knew this was going to be an illustration, I would have snuck over to see how filthy, dirty those pigs were just smiling and rolling in the mud, I'm sure. That's just their deal. But I know in my life, now that I'm thinking about it, and just by the way, all this illustration is being processed real time, real time. I'm just thinking about it right now. But I was just thinking, like if I was writing this down in my notes, I was writing this down to, I'd say, I just don't want to be a pig. I want to be a follower of Jesus. I don't want to roll around in the mud my life, personally. I want to hear God's word all the days I have left. And I want to do God's word. And I want to be a part of the hall of faith. I want to be able to look back and see a godly heritage in my family. I want to be able to look back and see I passed the faith on to my kids and to my grandkids and my great-grandkids. I want to look back and say, look, I know I can't help getting mud some places. I couldn't tour that place without walking in the mud. That's the way it is. I can't live in this world without having some of the sinful issues stick to me. But I don't have to swim in it. I don't have to live in it. I can go countercultural. And how do, I, how do I become a countercultural person? By doing the word. That's my ticket. That's my direction. I'm to do the word. The implanted word. I'm to hear it. I'm to receive it. And I'm going to allow it to penetrate my life and change me beyond the surface, beyond the ritual, beyond religion. The word can't take root if it's competing with other roots in my life. And so much work is done as we counsel and we talk and we beg. So much work is done by the Holy Spirit to weed out the junk that stops the word from implanting and bearing fruit in our lives. So do what you hear. Then he gives a silly illustration, and this is where we'll end today. He gives a silly. This is one of the goofiest things in the Bible. There's a lot of goofy things in the Bible. This is one of them. And you've got to let it sit for you, okay? So check this out. He says, okay, so if you're a hearer and not a doer, this is what you're like. If anyone is a hearer of the word, this is verse 23. If anyone hears God's word and doesn't do it, he's like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. He observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. Now, how dumb is that? Think about this for a second. You get up in the morning, you look at the mirror, and what does the mirror do? It tells you everything that's wrong with you. Your messy hair, 
you got crud all growing in your eyes, you got something stuck in your teeth from dinner last night, and what does the mirror do? It just tells you the truth. And then you look in the mirror, you take an assessment, you go, oh yeah, I'm in bad shape, I need to get this fixed before I leave out of the house. And then you walk downstairs to get a cup of coffee, and you forget what the mirror told you. I mean, who does that? Now, don't let anyone raise their hand because that's just a silly, how could you forget that you were, you wake up just looking messed up. Is that not true? Did anybody just come out of bed into the car to church today? No. Well, you guys are watching with hot chocolate right now. You haven't even taken a shower yet online. So we see you though. We have cameras going the other way. We see you. So, so, so think about it this way. Think about it this way. The mirror is compared to the word of God. And the mirror tells you and me the truth. That's what it does. It tells us the truth. If our hair needs to be combed, the mirror will tell us. If something needs to be taken out of our eye, the mirror tells us. If there's something sucking out, the mirror tells us. And when we see what's reflected back to us, it leads us to what? Action. Most likely, action. We see it, and then it tells us, and then we act on it. That's why we have mirrors. That's why we use mirrors. We, we, don't, we don't know what we look like. It's so funny, isn't it? Whenever you take a group picture, whenever you take a group picture, who's the first one you look for? You. Yeah, that's right, you. And it never fails. You look for yourself in the group picture, and then there's probably, oh, oh I didn't come out. My eyes are closed. Oh, my hair's messed up. Oh, that, I don't look very good. That's not a good picture. No, no, no. No, actually, that's exactly what you look like. That's what we see all the time. Like, yeah, that, that's what we see. That's what you look like. Hair messed up, hats all crooked, standing all, yeah, that's you. It's not the picture's fault. That's you. And we love you anyway. We don't care. We learn to live with each other. We don't, we don't judge. We don't care. That's you. Yeah, I was standing right next to you in the picture. That's me. That's just who I am. And so as you look at what's revealed to you, you might be upset with it, you might be mad with it, but the facts are the facts. And when the mirror reveals something to you, the only response that's acceptable is to respond to it. And that, with that simple, we all can relate to a mirror. Now God says, look, the word of God does the same thing. What a mirror does to you physically what a picture does to you physically, a picture of yourself, the Word of God does to you spiritually. And so that when every time the Word of God is open and it reflects something to you, the only natural response should be to fix it, to act on it, to do it, to do the Word. And if you hear the Word of God and don't do it, you're like the guy, you're like the gal that doesn't pay attention to the mirror. You don't pay attention to what's being reflected and you live your life carelessly and haphazardly and it's reflected in your life to others. It's just silly. It's one of the silliest illustrations in the Bible. Another silly illustration in the Bible, I'm reminded when a person that backslides and goes back into their sinful life that he's compared and she's compared to a dog going back to eat its own vomit. We had a dog named Molly she loved to eat her vomit. I was just like, I would tell her, what is your problem? 
Why would you? It's almost like she would make herself do it just because she liked her food so much. She wanted to eat it twice. And we would yell at her, Molly, stop it. And she'd just look up, I like it. <laughs> but it was foolish. We got all this good food for her, all this special cans of, all this stuff. Like we, we were taking such good care of her, but she was just rah, 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 in her vomit. But that's how a believer is, isn't it? You watch one of your friends. You watch a, a co-worker that was walking with the Lord, but now they're going back to the party scene. They're going back to whatever they're in. And you're just like, it's like so sickening. You're like going back to eat vomit? God has laid a feast before you. The marriage feast of the lamb awaits you. And you're going back. Well, same with the mirror. Something that we do every day. Every day. Okay, let me just make sure and clarify we're all on the same page. With a strong raising of your hand, how many looked in the mirror this morning? Look around. Don't put them down yet. Just look around. Most of you did. Those of you that didn't, we don't judge you. We don't care. And then if you drove here, you looked in another mirror. You, just, you used the mirror in your car to give you the surroundings of where you were, of where you came from. And it makes no sense, James says, to look in the mirror and not do what it's telling you to do. And it makes no sense to look in the mirror and the mirror of God's word and not obey and not do what it says. One more thing. Have you ever gone all day and not know there was something stuck in your teeth like nobody told you? Which you wish somebody would have told you and then you get home and you're like, are you kidding me? I went through that whole me. I went through that whole interview and I had a piece of broccoli sticking out of my teeth. I mean, you want somebody. A good friend will tell you, right? A good friend will tell you, hey, uh, you got a hanger going on there. And you go, what? You know what I mean. You got something on your nose and everybody sees it but doesn't tell you. And then you're like, you go to the mirror and then it goes, man, you got to take care of that. You want somebody to tell you. Don't you? But it's kind of embarrassing at the same time. But it shouldn't be embarrassing because somebody's just telling you the truth and helping you. How much more God's word is saying, you know, you've got this and it needs to be taken care of. And you've got this. and I know it doesn't feel good. I know it's kind of uncomfortable. But I'm telling you, once you take care of it, you're going to be a lot better. You're going to be a lot more confident. You're going to be a lot more sure-footed. He says in verse 25, he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it. So it's not doing now, but it's doing always. We're continuing in it. And I love how he says, again, if we were doing a deeper study in, in the book of James, I'd pause on this and just look at the law of liberty, the freedom of the grace of God. It's beautiful. Freedom for the Christian is not self-centered. That's where many people make it wrong. We think of freedom of all the things that we get out of it. No, the freedom that God gives us is freedom for fullness of relationship with him. The law of liberty brings about a deeper obedience to God. Not because you have to, but because you want to. But that's a different Bible study. So check this out. He says, when you look into the law of liberty, the mirror, the implanted word, and you continue in it, is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. This one will be blessed. And that's one of the matters. I don't always know what God wants me to do. I don't always know what turn I'm supposed to take or what act I'm supposed to do, but I have made it a point in my life to the best of my ability to make decisions based upon what God blesses and what God doesn't bless. Like I may not know exactly what to do, what not, but I know if this isn't something that God blesses, I don't want to be a part of it. 
But instead, I want to be a part of something God always blesses. And he tells us right now, you are a blessed man and you are a blessed woman when you look into the word and you continue in it. What do you become? A doer of the word and not a hearer only. And so what is the result of real, true, biblical faith? The kind of faith of Abel, the kind of faith of Enoch, the kind of faith of Noah. Our next man that we're going to look at is Abraham. Then after Abraham, we're going to look at his wife, Sarai. And on and on the list goes in Hebrews 11. We're looking at each of the people one by one, seeing what their faith did. What is it about faith? What, what is it? Faith, true biblical faith, will always lead us to do what we hear. Action is the natural outcome of real, true, biblical faith. And that's God's word to us today. We're not saved by works. We're saved for works. And they come naturally in our lives. So, Father, thank you for the privilege of, of uh, you know, I think what a rich weekend I've had. Being able to be with the young people. Being able to be with Sean and Justin. Being able to be with Jeff. And then, and then here in our own church family last night and today. What a rich, full life you've given me. And I want, I'm grateful, God, for the finished work of the cross that you started. And I think, I'm just so, I'm always remembering, Lord, what you've begun in me, you're going to faithful to complete it. And that's the, what you're doing in our church family. What you've begun, you'll be faithful to complete. And so, God, make us doers of your word and not hearers only. In Jesus' name, amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.